Irashaimase! And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I have always wanted to say that. I'm Drew Scanlon. Joining me are my co-hosts, plural, Daniel O'Dwyer and Robert Zachney. How are you guys? You can't do that. You have to you have to point at one of us. It can't chaos will reign on this podcast. <laughs> They'll talk at How the same time. Getting You're professionals. As he was introducing us both simultaneously, I was sitting there being like, Well, I don't know who's gonna go first. Look, I've never done this before, okay? This three person. <laughs> I I'm I'm hundred and fifty percent out of my league here. Let's go I love with this. Danny. I'm so happy uh, that we're doing this because one of the one of the nicest things that's happened to me over the past couple of months was the birth of my daughter. But the other nicest thing that happened to me was being able to listen to this podcast because I wasn't <laughs> on it. And also because Rob knows 10 times more about F1 than I do. <laughs> so it's been amazing uh, to, to, to have his insights on this podcast. So I'm, I'm delighted uh, that the three of us have gotten together. Yeah, me too. Well, that was deceptive because that was me at my peak into F1, where it's like, this season's really competitive. I'm just going to, like, suck up all this F1 knowledge and, like, process it. And now, like, it's getting into that late season. Like, people are starting to check out a little bit mentally. Like, let's face it, this championship's probably a little bit done. And I'm like, maybe I'll only watch this race once and take half as many notes. That's, that's fair. I feel like this race was probably a microcosm for that because I feel like the first 20 laps were pretty good and then the rest of us once lap 25 and that incident happened it was just over from from, from then <laughs> well we've got uh we're, we're double stacking it here we have a uh, uh a race last weekend and a race this weekend so what do you say we get right to it uh that phrase at the top by the way means um i guess like welcome or welcome to our store it's like a an honorific <laughs> japanese phrase uh in honor of the next race, Japan. Um, is, that a, is that Shenmue? Does that happen every time you go into a place in Shenmue? I've never played uh, yeah, Shenmue. Yeah, it's, it's one of those. Okay. Uh, that and Ohio Gozaimasu. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, I, actually, I was about to try and say something from my time in Japan. That was a year ago, and I can't remember any of it. And <laughs> I, said it all, I said it all in an Irish accent anyway, so nobody had a fucking clue what I was saying. <laughs> uh, this was kind of a weird race, guys. Uh, and it started it started weird because going into qualifying, both Red Bulls, both Dorosos, and Fernando Alonso <laughs> were all getting grid penalties for power unit changes, uh, which resulted in this weird thing in free practice two, I think. Um, so apparently when you've got multiple cars with penalties that send them to the back of the grid, the order in which you emerge onto the track with your new engine parts determines your order on the grid what so what we saw was uh lando norris who was driving for he was driving alonzo's car in free practice um two lined up at the pit exit 20 minutes before the session even started (laughs) and then like ricardo and verstappen also tried to beat it but like came out after him and then like the other two tarasas are behind them so that was weird I love that they sent out the jobber. They're like, Lando, you go, go, go out and sit outside, you know. It's almost like the F1 equivalent of, of those people you hire to get the new iPhone when it comes out. <laughs> Just wait in line. Make sure I get tickets for this race. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. Well, and then, like, uh, who was it who then... Because then it was reshuffled because there was an additional... 
Somebody got super extra penalties, I think, for doing gearbox in addition to power unit, right? Yeah, so Stoffel Van Dorn changed his gearbox, who, and that also bumped him down, but apparently there's some regulation. I could, I have it here. I could read it. Uh, that, like, meant he didn't have to, he didn't have to go to the back of the back of the grid. He only had to go to the back of the grid. Uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm you, sorry, you, hold on. You, you mean he didn't have to start from the pit lane or something? He he started fifteenth. Oh, really? Because sixteen through twenty were all those other engine penalties. Oh God! So they were even more penalized than he was. So he yes. Well, okay. I wonder if they swapped us because that was going to happen. Right. There was a lot of there was a lot of this like you know baseball rules bullshit going on. Like even in Q Q two was just a farce as a result. Yeah. So like uh, five cars got eliminated in Q one, and then when you go to Q two, there are three of those cars that got the engine penalties in q2 so basically if you like the two slowest cars didn't even need to run and they would score uh or they would start 11th and 12th which is exactly what renault did because we saw in singapore uh that you can even it may even be advantageous to start uh in 11th and 12th as opposed to like 9th and 10th because you get to pick your own tires and they're new tires Exactly, uh, so that's yeah. what that's what Renault did. So, uh, yeah, the bottom five in Q2 didn't run at all. Uh, or if they, nah, the other three did, but they got grid penalties anyway. So, like, the other 10 cars didn't need to run or, or, or only had to set, like, one lap time, like, a, you know, a four-minute lap or something, and they went to Q3. So, really bizarre. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a ferociously dull qualifying just like and I understand like I, I don't know the game design solution to this of like having to mandate these like engine lifespan requirements and like having a good disincentive but when you've got basically two sessions of qualifying that are foregone conclusions <laughs> effectively and like and people are saying like boy why did Renault like not why did Red Bull screw everyone else by sending those guys out just to like block them from advancing uh i don't know it just it just feels like a bit of a um we have yet to we have yet to land on the ideal solution for this yeah and we'll actually get to uh in the news they're they're thinking about messing with qualifying yet again um but uh just to, to finish off qualifying here there was a kind of a good battle between botas and hamilton for uh pole position botas is really good at this track uh but it looked like for a second at least that hamilton was going to beat his time but he lost it uncharacteristically in uh in the last sector and mm. botas nabbed pole by a tenth of a second to lewis hamilton uh, Vettel, though, wasn't even close. He was six-tenths off of uh, Lewis Hamilton for third place. Um, and I'll just run down the rest of the grid here. Kimi Raikkonen got fourth, followed by Kevin Magnussen in fifth place, uh, which sounds absolutely crazy with uh, all the, the Red Bulls getting bumped to the back of the field. But hey, K-Mag starting fifth. Uh, behind him, Esteban Ocon, Charles Leclerc, uh, Sergio Perez, Roman Grosjean, and Marcus Erickson. Uh, closing out the top 10. In those 11th and 12th positions, we've got Carlos Sainz Jr. and Nico Hulkenberg, followed by Sergei Sorokin, Lance Stroll, and Stoffel Van Dorn, uh, who, as we mentioned, was penalized for a gearbox change. And then you get into the power units. Uh, Fernando Alonso, Pierre Gasly, Daniel Ricciardo, Max Verstappen, and Brendan Hartley. Uh, so a little bit of a scrambling of the field, which is always kind of fun. Right, Especially and that's kind of where, to... like, 
I feel like that's where a lot of the fun came from, at least the the nonsense at the back. But like even in the early part of the race, it was mostly you know the the, the mid, a little pocket in the middle around Magnussen where a lot of the fun was happening. And then you know we'll get into it, but the the Red Bull is catching up too. Yeah, and I I was uh, looking forward to that, but I think the other big question going into the race was with Hamilton leading the championship, but having not sealed the deal. Uh, and Botas in on pole position, will Mercedes enforce team orders? Like that's kind of the question. And actually, before the race, uh, Mercedes team principal Toto Wolf said, uh, "We are not in a part of the season where I would particularly enjoy Mercedes racing each other at the front. As much as I hate to say it, as a race fan, but you need to calculate a little bit more at that stage." Uh, it's from racefans.net. Hamilton goes into the race 110 <laughs> points ahead of his teammate with 150 available, meaning Botas could drop out of championship contention tomorrow. Uh, Wolf admitted Hamilton would prefer not to resort to using team orders. Uh, it's a very tricky decision to make, and we'll be discussing it tomorrow morning with both of them. <laughs> and as always, come to a solution with the buy-in of everybody. I could see we, I could see Rob laughing because it's like it's like almost like Toto's saying it there. He's like setting himself up for something. Well, yeah, it's the whole like, yeah, don't worry. We're definitely going to talk about it in the morning before the race so everyone is on the same page. I definitely am looking forward to having this conversation with my drivers. I'm not going to punt it and hope that like we just don't get into that situation in the race because that would be irresponsible. I'm going to handle this in the morning. Buy in from everybody. It's going to be cool. <laughs> yeah. I, the only uh, you know questions of that was whether or not Ferrari would put up any sort of a challenge, and you just you kind of couldn't see it in the qualifying times. Um, but you never know race day, tire strategy, all that sort of stuff. But I think we we knew, you know, at least at least halfway through the race, we knew what the story was when when it came to Ferrari's performance. Yeah. Um, well, it, it seemed at least at the start uh, that maybe that maybe Ferrari could take it to him. Do you want to take us through the start, Danny? Sure. I mean, it was a pretty, you know, in retrospect, it was a pretty, you know, standard boring start. It was all about whether, you know, who would get bogged down in that situation. Vettel, traditionally pretty good off the gas. Um, uh, Hamilton, maybe less so, as we've seen, um, uh, you know, over the past couple of years. And Bottas, you know, didn't have the Kimi problem of of qualifying well and then always bottling the start of it. But he's done it a couple of times. Um, As it happens, Bottas got off the the grid really quickly. Um, Lewis got bogged down a little bit. And effectively, what kind of happened was you can either read into it. I'm not so sure. I think Durest at the time was reading into it, saying that that Bottas basically came over to the right side of the track um, on that super fast first turn um, to give Lewis uh, a bit of a draft up the middle. I, I, to be to be honest, I think when you're turning right on your you're in the front and you're trying to protect another right hander, you're probably just going for that line anyway. Um, but in any in any case, it basically sort of gave Lewis that little bit more um, of a, of aerodynamics to try to cover back off Vettel. And then once that had happened, once they were side by side going into that right hander, um, he basically had him protected off. Um, Kimi managed to, to to keep, I guess, God, who was behind him? It was uh, Leclerc, was it or? Uh, uh, Magnuson. Magnuson, sorry. He he covered him off after a not great start, but uh, that was pretty much it. Once they got around that second corner, um, that was the way of things uh, until we got into the fight between Magnuson and Leclerc on, on lap two. Yeah, that was so good. Leclerc does this, um, like a crossover move. He, he, he faints one way and then at the turn, he cuts through the apex and then gets like a lot of momentum that takes him uh, to the outside of turn three, which is that huge... 
uh, semicircle and then right. just rides the edge of that all the way and makes uh, a really clean pass, uh, which leaves Magnuson in sixth place ahead of the two Force Indias. Yeah, hopefully uh, I hear Dan, Danny Kavat was probably there. He probably hopefully he got some pointers about how to overtake on that. <laughs> on that how to turn. not hit anybody? Yeah. Only hit him once. That's the like <laughs> if you just cut the number of like rear endings in that circle like just in half, like twice is good. Right. You need to keep your seat that way. <laughs> yeah. Um meanwhile, in the back of the field for Stappen, uh starting 19th, absolutely destroying people. Just my favorite driver. I yeah. just I adore Max Verstappen. Uh, always been a huge supporter, as, as you know. Uh, always believed in him, and uh, I feel I was vindicated uh, this week <laughs> in, in my fandom. No, it was it was great because like it's always fun when the as much as the, like the qualifying sucked. It is always fun when the field gets mixed up this way, and somebody who has no business at the back is stuck back there because then it's just video game racing. <laughs> totally, right? totally, and. Verstappen, like, and Verstappen was just picking people off right and left, and they were all just like completely clean passes. And mm. admittedly, a lot of these folks weren't putting up much of a fight. But by the time the second lap had started, how many positions had he picked up? Like seven? Uh, second lap. Uh, yeah, he's in twelfth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's in twelfth yeah. by then. It's, I'm so glad you said that, Rob, because literally as I was watching it, I was like, this is what happens when I play. Every once in a while, you play the F1 game and you just pick you pick a team, go to the back and you set it on easy mode and you just, you know, AI stupid and you just burn through them all. And this is literally what was going on. But it was so cool that he, you know, he had a delta in Ricardo. So we could see the, the, the comparative difference between the two drivers and how, just how, how well he was doing. Did he, though? Because later they noticed, like, when, when Danny Rick came in, because this was the thing. I was like, okay, and this is why Ricardo needs to get at that team because you were never going to beat this kid because, like, look at how badly he outperformed Danny Rick. When Ricardo did eventually come in for a pit stop, they put on a new wing. Right. And the question is, like, when did that wing get damaged? I never quite did pin down, like, did Ricardo get like his nose chopped off a little bit early in the race and he just lacked front downforce or I'm just curious like I'm, look I'm trying to exonerate my boy here like <laughs> I love Danny Rick and I'm like he's still good damn it uh, and he is good but he definitely got shown up a little bit there right yeah, yeah I mean was it the first Max lap had or a, something? a really good start was it, um, I remember hearing something like there was there was a little bit of contact somewhere on that first turn but I'm not sure if that was where Danny got hit I don't know. I, I I watched the the onboard video that F1 put out, and I didn't see anything uh, right. there either. Uh, nor did I see any anybody talking about it. But yeah, I had totally forgotten that until you just mentioned it, Rob. Mm. That was that was weird. Uh, Verstappen did get uh, a, a better start than Ricardo, um, <clears throat> and by lap eight, he was in fifth place <laughs> from nineteenth. Um, just making it look easy. Uh, a few laps later, though, another really strange occurrence in this weekend. Uh, teammates Hartley and Gasly both spun off the track at roughly the same point in the race, uh, and at similar terms turns on the track. They it was the, it almost looked like the same uh, crash when they um, showed the replay. Like I think you guys were mentioning before the show started, Paul Daresta was even confused. Like, is that this? Did we just see the same thing again? No, okay, this is a different car. Like, it was exactly the same thing. 
Um, but apparently, uh, both of them had the same brake issue, uh, and both of them unfortunately retired from the race on lap six. So, two cars down already. Yeah, it, apparently, like they still haven't come out with the, the exact explanation for what happened, but uh, it was apparently an issue with the front brakes, uh, both going simultaneously. That is just such a weird. That is unsettling were I one of their drivers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like sometimes like brakes are typically a part you're ordering from another manufacturer. It's always possible that like somewhere you got a brake that's going to fail. Uh, it is possible you have a faulty installation or the, con- the controls don't entirely get hooked up correctly. To have the same issue occur to both cars simultaneously and the like fatal failure point happens like simultaneously is well, it's like Hitman 2, I think, is the way I'd put it. It's like that Hitman 2 level. It's like, okay, and you don't know which of these cars belongs to Harley, <laughs> right. but so you're just going to sabotage both of them. Uh, yeah. It was, it's unsettling. It's it's almost as bad as, I think it's Sebastian Buemi uh, at, let's see here, the 2010 Chinese Grand Prix. He is coming down the straight. He hits the brakes and both of his front tires explode off of his car. Yeah remember that one it's crazy uh, it's uh it's yeah you'd, you'd wonder like for it both to happen around the same time you'd think it must have something to do with heat i know that that track runs pretty hot or i mean the outside temperature in that track runs pretty hot but but even so it's it's crazy that you know it was pretty early on in the race as well what was it the third lap when that happened or fourth or fifth i guess they were out by six fifth yeah yeah crazy stuff lucky it happened i mean you know there's plenty of this track that doesn't have runoff they're lucky that it was turned i think it was two and four which where they have Mm -hmm. have plenty of it and if it happened after four you're basically getting into a section of the track where the braking zones aren't as hard but it's like five or six turns with plenty of wall there could have you know caused a safety car or something but yeah Crazy stuff. Danny Kivat's probably like, hello, guys. <laughs> uh, so at this point, it is Botas in first, followed by Hamilton, Vettel, Raikkonen, and Verstappen. Shortly thereafter, Ricardo does join the party as well, slotting into sixth place uh, behind Verstappen. Um, and then we get our first uh, front of the pack pits um, with Botas on lap 12, followed by Vettel, who um, I guess was trying to undercut Hamilton. So mm. he does a 2.8 second stop. Um, and which is pretty good if he can set faster times than Hamilton on his new uh, tires on the outlap. Uh, Hamilton, however, inherited a lot of free air at the front of the pack when Botas pitted, so he had a lot of good pace and did a 2.5-second stop. Um, but Vettel managed still to make up time, and as Hamilton emerged from the pits, Vettel was right beside him on the outside uh, and just managed to sneak into the corner ahead of Hamilton, which was one of the most exciting points of this race. <laughs> yeah, which was quickly undone by what happened next. It was like, yeah, was there like, was, yay, we've got a fight on our hands, and then almost immediately, uh, yeah, what happened yeah. next happened next. Where did one of the things I'll, I, I, I'm looking forward to figuring out when the season is all done and dusted is where did Ferrari's pace go? that they had right. uh, around mid-season. Like, they had clearly straight-line speed advantages. They, they they had a pretty what looked like a pretty significant and dangerous engine advantage uh, versus Mercedes. And you would think that, okay, even if Mercedes is still rolling out improved parts, you wouldn't see the uh, situation get flipped 
quite this quickly. Yeah. But I was in that exact same position of, oh, great, now we got a duel. Admittedly, so she's not a great track for a duel like that. Mm. Um, it's, it's a bit like somebody laid out a racing circuit uh, in a place you go do your driving test. Uh, but <laughs> nevertheless, I was, I was pretty jazzed about that. And then like Hamilton looked like he basically had Vettel wherever he, and whenever he wanted him. Like it was yeah. just a matter of getting a slight toe and it was done. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was bizarre, wasn't it? It was kind of like there was, you know, you're, you're thinking tire temperature at that stage maybe, but like there was such a, it, it was like he could he could have passed him a couple of times before he eventually did. And he almost did. If it wasn't for Vettel sort of cutting him off, he, he might have done so. Yeah, so uh, Hamilton initially tries uh, a move um, after getting a run on the start-finish straight. So he dives to the inside of that turn, but Vettel moves to block him and... From my perspective, when I was watching it live, it looks like Vettel moves twice. Uh, and on the second move, Hamilton has to slam on the brakes and back off. Like it was a kind of a nail biting uh, situation because it was uh, like even uh, David Croft was like, I don't know how they didn't touch. Mm. Um, but the stewards didn't call it a double move. And actually, when I look back at the onboards, it kind of just looks like uh, it's kind of a continuation of the same move. Um, the stewards said in a quote from race fans, uh, stewards cleared Vettel over the incident, ruling the move quote, did not constitute two significant changes in direction. Uh, Hamilton, however, said his rival's defensive moves were too strong. Ultimately for me, said Hamilton, he did move over to the inside and then he moved again. And then he put me in the wall. Uh, I thought it was a double move, but I guess they didn't see it that way. Yeah, it was it was hardly you know Schumacher on Barrichello, but it was uh you know he he did he did he closed the gap, but it wasn't like he swung left and right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That that's one of the things. Initially, I thought it was a double move. Part of this is the weirdness of when the double move itself counts because it matters on the straight, but once you enter the corner, then the racing line takes precedence and sort of. And now you're allowed to sort of regain the racing line, and that is not considered a defensive move. That is just you regaining the racing line. Uh, so that there's there's already that little bit of weirdness, but I can sort of see it. Like, we've all had that, like, we all play racing games here. You all, like, do sometimes do that thing where you make one flick of the wheel to set the right angle for corner entry, and then you execute the main turn once you hit your braking and turning point right mm -hmm. like and that i think like once i sort of saw the um like in car from vettel's perspective it didn't look as egregious as initially i thought like he was he was taking the corner the fastest way i think and if that if Hamilton happened to get his nose sliced off in there, you know, fine. But uh, it, you know, it was it didn't seem edgy. Yeah, I, I thought it was a good a good non call. Yeah, um, but Hamilton, <laughs> you know, he he tries it again on the inside of turn four at the end of the semicircular turn three, uh, and this this time it sticks. So he did not seem to have uh, too much trouble getting around Sebastian Vettel. Uh, and then lap 25. So let me just set the stage here. Botas is in second because Verstappen hasn't pitted yet. So Verstappen is in first. He started on soft tires, which is the hardest compound. Yeah, he's he's praying for a 30-lap safety car. He's like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> Red flag. Uh, Hamilton is behind Botas in third place. Uh, and then we get 
uh, the radio message to Botas. So you need to let Lewis by into turn 13 this lap. Uh, so Botas does so, presumably with the assumption that they're swapping spots so that Hamilton can get past Verstappen. It's something that uh, we've seen before. Force India actually tried to do it in this race uh, as well to get by, by um, uh, Magnussen. Um, but a few laps later, Botas says, why isn't Lewis getting through Verstappen? I was going to go past on the next lap. And then we get Mercedes's chief strategist, James Voles, who doesn't come over the radio very often, only when it's a big deal. He says, Valtteri, it's James. We had a risk with Lewis against Vettel. Uh, he has a small blister, meaning Lewis. Uh, I had to do this to make sure we secure this. I understand. So that at that point, I think Botas realizes uh, I just gave away the race. Um, so I am of two minds of this. Of course, mm. you don't want to see team orders. So if, if you if you haven't been watching Formula One for a while, team orders. This is what team orders is. It's kind of a uh, a, a vague term because isn't everything a team order? Um, but Team orders basically means shuffling around uh, to to benefit the team instead of uh, instead of you, the driver. And it used to be outlawed. Yeah. Or, or at certain points, it has been outlawed. Like um, uh, you you weren't allowed to. You were supposed to just let everybody race all the time. But like teams would find ways around it, like doing uh, coded messages and stuff. Mm. Um, what was the famous Red Bull one? M- MG42 or something? Uh, or... Multi-21. Multi-21. MG42 is a World War II machine gun. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Slightly different code name. Uh, and then, there's, of course, there's the famous, you know, uh, Fernando is faster than you, which, uh, which Felipe Massa got all those years ago. Um, yeah, yeah, it was outlawed for a while, and then they kind of brought it back in. But I think that with a very sort of... But a very clear understanding that it wouldn't be abused, you know, that, that, that it wouldn't be a sort of a, the driver one, driver two stuff of NASCAR, for instance. Like, there's other racing series where this is very, it's more of a, you know, it's not exactly Talladega Nights, but it, there's, there's more of a, you know, your teammates there to sort of support the, the main driver thing. Um, and I guess, you know, team orders this early in a race is something that's always a little bit like, uh, like 25 laps in, you're kind of like, uh, like, let, let's see what happens, but... You know, I guess I guess it had sort of it had ended by that stage. I, you know, who knows? They're just super skittish about losing that championship, I guess. And and the other part of it, I think, is that Valtteri is just like a very amicable, kind guy. I think who he advocates for himself, but he's not he's not Max Verstappen. You know what I mean? Or he's not Michael Schumacher. He's not somebody who's really going to bite back at the hands that feeds him. So you know, I, I, I it's probably it was probably easier for them to ask him at that stage in the race than it was maybe some other drivers. I I mean, the example I always return to, like, how does this compare to Austria 2002, right? Mm. Like, that's the that is the team orders catastrophe that, like, to this day leaves like has left a bad taste in people's mouth. That's why initially they tried to pretend team orders were going out of the sport because. And which uh, one was, was that? Like, that was where Rubens Barrichello had just like dominated the Austrian uh, Grand mm. Prix. And he had like a clear win. I do not remember what the margin was, but it was I do not recall it being particularly close. And then he starts losing pace and Schumacher starts getting weirdly close to him. 
And then basically, like, at the very end of the race, Barrichello comes damn close to just pulling the car over on the side of the road and just, like, waving Schumacher past. Um, and so Schumacher takes first. And the crowd just turned. Uh, we were already a few years into, like, Ferrari dominance at that point. Like, there's an element, I think there's an echo of this here. The, when, you ha- when you've had a team be this successful, there's also, I think, kind of a perspective of... Do you guys really need to be race fixing at this stage? Mm. <laughs> like, like, what is it? Like, come on, come on. Like, what does it really matter? How many, how many championships uh, do you need b- before you stop like trying to eliminate any sort of risk to it at all? Um, so it was, you know, it was considered kind of bad form. And then there was that embarrassing um, podium ceremony at that race where Schumacher realizes, like, oh no, uh, I'm a villain here, and this crowd like hates me right now. And it makes a big show of like giving Barrichello the the first place trophy, but it was it was just toxic. Um and this is like nowhere near that egregious, but it reminded me of that because it had the same whiff of shame hmm. around the entire thing. Like this was this was the weird part to me, is that Toto Wolf looks like there's a shot of him sitting with his finger over the radio transmit button, yeah. mm-hmm. just looking like a you've got to make a call and you don't want to make the call, but like here here we go. Like just he's he's got to call into the tactician and uh, and square this away. And so I don't know. It, it's a it's a strange thing because I'm not sure it would have come across as egregious if the vibe from Mercedes hadn't been so weird, right. Yeah, yeah, like it was all almost their, like their... they were, yeah, they were they were sort of getting caught in the act or something. Uh, the 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 thing that I'll sort of stamp on the end of that is that what we're what we're effectively sort of talking about here is a swing of only seven points as well. It's not like it's not like you know one of the cars was going to go out and they were going to lose twenty five off the constructors' lead or or something like that. We're talking about a seven point swing in in a in a season where it's what what was there between maybe thirty five thirty eight forty five points or something in between them um, at the start of the race. And Bottas hasn't won a fucking hasn't won a race this year, and like it matters to me. It seemed like what you're gaining is so much worse than what you're losing. Like it, it just didn't. It seemed like a terrible transaction for the team that this is going to make Bottas really feel like a second rate driver. And and for what kind of for like you know the constructors not going to make a difference, and for the drivers' championship. You know, who knows? Let's talk about it in a couple of race time. If Mercedes end up losing it by seven points, you can you can get, come back to me. But like, it just seemed like a, you know, overly defensive and not, you know, as bad spirited as it was, just even in terms of the pra- pragmatism of the situation, it seemed like an own goal. So here is my, here's the, where I do sort of get where Mercedes might be coming from though. I don't think, I don't think Bodas keeps Hamilton behind him if Hamilton goes on the attack. Like right. they're good drivers. I think Hamilton is better at that sort of knife fight. I just I do. He's one of the best uh overtaking drivers in the series. The risk the the fear there is if you just say like go ahead, let's go racing. This isn't Bahrain where you do have tons of like roomy runoff areas. Like there's right. a lot of places where you could have a catastrophic outcome. In in fact, Botas did with Kimi here a couple of years ago. He, oh, is this one of the places where he had one of his Kimi incidents? Yeah, this is on um, this. This was the one where they had the final lap, right? I think it was on turn four where where they ended up colliding. So you're yeah, you're right. It, the, the bad shit can go wrong here. Yeah, so that that's that's the other argument I'd make is like if 
if Botas had maybe driven a slightly cleaner rate, like if he'd been easier on his tires maybe and like had been able to hold that advantage a little easier, maybe it doesn't enter the situation. Uh, but I do also kind of feel that that stage of the race, I sort of understand where Mercedes kind of just wants to skip to the bottom of the page here with what's mm. probably going to happen anyway and just eliminate the chance of a double retirement. Right. It's weird. Yeah. It's like it's like that balancing act between this is sort of the most boring end of the spectrum, and then the other one is what happened with the Red Bulls of Baku, where like you don't do a damn thing, and then the inevitable happens. Um, yeah. When you have the, the 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 only thing that makes me think a little bit like you know with, with that situation, for instance, you had the hot headed driver at the front, and you had the other you know perhaps the, not as hot headed but but passionate driver behind him. In this situation. You, you know, Bottas tends to kind of get out of the way when stuff like that happens. He's pretty reliable. Um, I guess, you know, in the alternative universe, we maybe would have found out, but um, it just made for a sort of boring second half to the race, though, sadly. Yeah, so Hamilton doesn't ever get by Verstappen. Uh, Verstappen pits around lap 43. And by the way, Christian Horner <laughs> in the shot is holding a manual stopwatch like he's at the NFL Combine. Uh, I really enjoyed that shocking nerd. Yeah. Do you ever get do you ever get the feeling sometimes they're just doing it for the cameras? Like <laughs> he, he does kind of like he just watched Rush. The camera. Yeah, Maybe he so. did. Yeah. Or like chariots of fire or something. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Hamilton doesn't give back the place uh, and finishes in first. Botas gets second, uh, and immediately we get a radio message to Valtteri. Um, from Toto, he says, Valtteri, this is Toto. A difficult day for you and a difficult day for us. Let's discuss it afterwards. And when we come together, we'll explain things. Uh, and then <laughs> as, um, as Botas comes into like, you know how they have those uh, stands set up. It's like one, two, and three for the cars to park. Uh, the top three. Botas comes in and like rams the second place sign, <laughs> uh, which you can see on the onboard video. Uh, and the, and as soon as he hops out of the car, it is incredibly awkward. Like Hamilton comes over and tries to confront him. Poor Paul Deresta has to interview these guys and ask all the weird questions. Um, in the green room, uh, Vettel like puts a towel over the camera so he hides the the shame, I guess. Um, although there was a pretty good point where Hamilton was talking to to Putin through an interpreter and says like, "Hey, man." Listen, last time, uh, somebody sprayed you with the champagne. It wasn't me. Uh, and then uh, the F1 Twitter account actually put that and then a replay of last year's podium ceremony of him totally spraying Putin <laughs> in the back with champagne. So uh, I thought that was pretty funny. We, we also had a repeat of the, uh, the trying to swap the trophies as well. Did you notice that, Hamilton? Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. Oh. He Kind of subtly, not as, you know, as much, but he sort of did the whole da 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 and Valtteri was like don't worry about it but it was it, it kind of that's <laughs> don't patronize me Lewis yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty was, much yeah he's like fucking Putin's gonna murder you anyway and then I'll be number one driver uh really low-key champagne spraying also just mm. a really odd moment uh after the race the post-race press conference Hamilton said uh it's obviously never ever in my whole life been the way I wanted to win a race uh, I just want to shine it on to Valtteri there are not many teammates who would do something like that? Um, and Toto Wolf, for his part, said, uh, we told Valtteri that if everything panned out and we were running 1-2 at the end of the race, we would leave it like this unless we felt under threat from Vettel. And I thought about it, uh, meaning switching them back, but in the end, you need to consider the championship because in the end, 
If there are five points missing, then you're the biggest idiot on the planet for having prioritized Valteri's single race result over the championship. Sometimes somebody needs to be the baddie, and it's me today. Uh, it's a case of, do I want to be the baddie on Sunday evening for many reasons, or do I want to be the idiot in Abu Dhabi? I'd rather be the baddie today and not the idiot at the end of the year. Oh, maybe don't be either. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, interestingly, uh, Ross Braun, who is the F1 motorsport director uh, and also a former Mercedes team principal and is kind of the voice of F1 when it comes to things like this, like how the sport looks to fans and how it works and is presented and rules and stuff like that. He's um, the DM of uh, of F1. Yes. <laughs> Uh, He said, uh, this is from racefans.net, I have found myself in this situation many times in the past. Personally, I've always believed the collective interest of the team comes before that of an individual driver. I can understand Botas' frustration as he had a great weekend demonstrating how well the Sochi track suits him, but team orders are a part of the sport. Also, it's always better to apply them in a transparent manner rather than trying to hide it, something we have seen sometimes in the past, which raised accusations of deception. It's not the most attractive aspect of our sport, but it's always been a part of it, good or bad, and it's better to have it in the open. Mm. I agree with the last, uh, but it doesn't make it any more fun to watch. No, bummer. Real bummer. Looked like we were actually going to get a fun Sochi this year, and then, I mean, would it... Who knows if it would have been that much more fun if they were fighting or maybe it was still would have been a procession. Yeah. Uh, the result, though, Lewis Hamilton on top, followed by Valtteri Bottas uh, and Sebastian Vettel rounding out the podium. Uh, behind them, Kimi Raikkonen, Max Verstappen, Daniel Ricciardo, and Charles Leclerc uh, winning Formula 1.5. Um, behind him, Kevin Magnussen, Esteban Ocon, and Sergio Perez. Uh, rounding out the top 10. Then we got Grosjean, Hulkenberg, Ericsson, Alonso, Stroll, Van Dorn, Sainz, Sorokin. And out of the race were Pierre Gasly and Brendan Hartley. Uh, also, mm. uh, there is a subreddit called Formula 1.5, which basically just ignores uh, Ferrari, Mercedes, and Red Bull. Brilliant. <laughs> That's great. So congratulations to Charles Leclerc on his win. <laughs> on his win of the Formula 1.5 Sochi Grand Prix. Amazing. Uh, you guys got anything else from Russia? Mm-mm. Me, ne- me not. What about you, Rob? Yeah, I don't think I got... Oh, yes, I do. <gasps> I do. A subplot that I just took endless delight in was the babysitting of the Force India duo. <laughs> uh, just this, this is such a good subplot. Basically, it's the, okay, we tried, we tried letting you assholes race. Clearly, that's never going to work. So what we're going to do is we're going to make sure everyone has a chance to execute an overtake. But if you don't do it in the allotted time, your brother gets to try to do an overtake. But if he can't do it, then he promises he'll give it back to you. Uh, And just that entire thing, like the pins and needles radio messages Mm. between uh, the Force India pit wall and their drivers was just so, so good. Uh, the the way they are trying to uh, manage this absolutely toxic disaster of a relationship, uh, and they actually they actually did it by micromanaging the hell out of their drivers. Um, right. And the way they did that also, I think, further showed up the degree to which Perez and Ocon do not outstrip each other the way I think they think they do. Like mm. I think each of those guys is convinced like. 
if that if, if either of those guys sees the other in front of him, he's like, I got more pace. This guy needs. To, this guy's screwing up my race. Just let me through. Right. And the answer is no. Like that. That's just your racing order. You don't actually have that much more pace. But they both live in this reality where, I'm damn a guy. it, they deserve. Yeah, <laughs> they deserve that win. They deserve. They deserve that lead. Uh, I can take. I can take Magnuson. No problem. Let me at him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, reality check. Uh, you know, they. You're right. They as as sort of funny as it was. They they went home with with uh, points on both drivers. So you know, we'll have to see what they do next next week. I guess. Well. Uh, Speaking of Russia, let's take it to the news. Uh, The big, I think, thing to come out of Russia that was not the Grand Prix was a driver announcement for one Toro Rosso. Uh, They tweeted a video with uh, the caption, Russian flag emoji, question mark emoji, and an elevator door opens, heavy metal music plays, (laughs) and then... (laughs) Danny Kafiat walks into frame and then winks at the camera. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I, I don't know if you've seen it, but it reminded me of uh, the opening to Doom. So, oh, really? Doom, Doom Slayer confirmed for... I just was expecting him to cock a shotgun. Uh, <laughs> I, will, I will link that video. Uh, I don't think I've ever uh, associated Russia or Daniel Kvyat with metal. Yeah, I don't. It was such a strange video. Maybe that's why it just it conjured that in my head. That's weird. I feel like Daniel Ricardo. I would think about metal with a little bit more because he's mad into his metal, right? That's I true. I remember yes. there was a video of him doing like a, some sort of gothic scream at one stage. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not sure about Danny Kivat. I think Danny Kivat would be more into like like trance or like <laughs> European drum and bass or something. You know, like party music. Uh, well, regardless um, of his feelings on demons, uh, Red Bull, or I'm sorry, Toro Rosso <laughs> team principal Franz Toss said Kafiat, quote, deserves another chance in Formula One. Daniel is a skilled driver uh, with fantastic natural speed, which he has proven several times in his career. Natural speed. That's what we're all. Some people are born with natural car speed. <laughs> Just more than he knows what to do with, honestly. Just, <laughs> he's so quick. It catches him by surprise. Oh. Yes, the torpedo is, is back in the chamber, back in the tubes. There's um, a, there's so, a, there's, sorry, go ahead, Rob. No, I mean, I, actually, though, I am kind of glad he is getting another chance. Mm. Like, he made some egregiously poor uh, decisions in his time like he flamed out very fast I've seen Verstappen do some similar stuff and like the narrative has been very different like it's another case of a driver that needed a lot of seasoning um, and mm. probably didn't get reined in effectively or didn't take to being reined in uh, the way he needed to but like we'll say like he had like he had some real talent and I'm curious if the experience he's had will have seasoned that and tempered it um, I don't know. I can see it. Like, I hope he does well with it. I liked him as a driver. Yeah. Um, he was just too unstable as a driver. Yeah, I, I, you could kind of get the sense that a lot of it was mental. Like he was quite young, and the problem with Formula One is it's not like you know if you have a bad pitcher, you can pull them off the plate and you can give them a bit of time away, and you don't get to do that in F one. You're on every week. You have to go to practice and qualifying and perform on a day and. 
he had a real there's a great little video which uh, sort of peaks and valleys of his career that's on the f1 youtube channel which kind of reminded me of just how how fast he burnt out like rob was saying he, he really like he had a bit of a wobbly period in the previous season and then recovered from it and then at the start of the next season just everything went wrong he had a bunch of he had like th- four races in a row where just something terrible like something really bad happened and you got the feeling that like if you could have pulled him for a while then you you would have done it but it's not really the way this sport works so i am glad to see him back and hopefully you know a bit of maturity and mentality perhaps because he always had the he was a good driver you know he wasn't like he wasn't on his day when he when he drove well he drove well he wasn't like an imposter in 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 a red bull you know so well you will have to see but yeah i hope it was kind of sad. It was like when DeResta lost his seat. I kind of thought, ah, I like him, but DeResta didn't really have like the ability of of some of the other drivers. Whereas Kvyat, were kind of like, that's a real shame. Like almost like they put him in too early. Like you know when you ruin a sports yeah. star because you put them, in, yeah, you give them their opportunity too quick. It kind of felt a little bit like that. He needed to well, prove a little more in the drawer. Yeah, maybe, maybe what? Is that a metaphor? <laughs> Proof like dough? Yeah. <laughs> Just don't oh, let okay. him rise. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think there was also an element of. He got tangled up, like particularly like hitting Vettel twice, right? Like right. he hit one of the guys who turned into one of the sports elder statesmen. Mm. And there's, I think, a political element of this, which is like F1 is such a weird sport. To a degree, it is to your advantage to come across a little bit like the egocentric asshole who doesn't like move over for anybody. Like everyone's going to be the next Senna. Like you better get out of my way. There's right. an advantage from that. Like it impresses people. Uh, it also maybe gives you a little intimidation factor on the track, but carry it too far. Like you do something just blatantly dumb, like smacking Vettel twice. Hmm. And then you aren't appropriately like apologetic or you see, like, I think that was the other thing is Kubica, uh, not Kubica. I'm, I'm just thinking about how badly I want Kubica to be racing. <laughs> <Kafiet>. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, uh, Kafiat, I think, got caught out, and rather than immediately like kind of owning his mistake, his approach was to basically deny that they were that bad, that they were that bad, and like kind of be like, "Hey, I'm just racing my race." Like, totally. You know. Do you remember the argument he had with? There was that argument post race he had with Vettel. Remember when when Vettel was like giving out to him in the green room, I think, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah." Well, then you should have got it. And he just wasn't taking it. He was like, he was batting it back as fast as he was getting it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. If anything, Kvyat is a fun wild card, so I'm kind of excited. I mean, hopefully Toro Rosso will be a little more competitive uh, next year. Although it sounds like that Honda engine is getting better and better, um, according to Toro Rosso. So uh, right. Take that with a grain of salt. Um, Speaking of that team, though, we haven't heard any confirmation about who Danny Kvyat's teammate will be. Uh, Brendan Hartley um, has not been confirmed, and uh, Red Bull junior team boss Helmut Marko was speaking to Sky and uh, was asked what Hartley must do to stand a chance of keeping his seat. Quote, beat Gasly. Right. So... Score some points. Score some points, you know. He's sitting on one point still, right? I mean, it wasn't his yeah. fault this time, but yeah. I mean, he, there are a lot of points where it hasn't been his fault and he has failed to score. So yeah, will they take that into account? Who knows? They don't have a lot of other options is the thing. Like they're kind of like they brought Danny Kofiat back. They're kind of scraping the bottom of, they don't have like a, uh, a massive pool of drivers waiting in the wings in the Red Bull. Program. Felipe Massa, get him back. There again. you go. I'm just saying I like, <laughs> 
if you want an inspiring, like brand friendly, like mm-hmm. biography, a talented driver that maybe speaks to a nation that is underrepresented in Formula One, uh, Robert Kubica is right there. Just totally. he's got his own uh, energy drink. Make it happen. <laughs> Wait, um, what? He does. Oh, he has yeah. his own. En- yeah, there's a whole thing in Poland where they have celebrities on energy drinks and Kubica has one uh the famously the most drank uh, we've talked about it many times in the podcast the most drank energy drink in Poland is Mike Tyson's brand which is called Black That's All right. Yep, that's that's all to say about that. Yep. Let's I think it says unlock, unlock the power of black energy. I actually think it says on the can. It's it's a whole it's a whole thing. Speaking of drivers, uh <laughs> The Haas team is keeping Grosjean and Magnussen. Team principal Gunther Steiner said uh, in this quote from race fans, retaining the pair was, quote, a pretty easy decision for the team heading into its fourth full season next year. From the very beginning, we needed experienced drivers to hasten the development of our car and our team. And we have two very good and experienced drivers in Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen. Uh, We've improved drastically from last year to this year. So retaining both drivers was a pretty easy decision. I think it's easy in the way that, like, it's the path of least resistance organizationally. Like, it's easy in that, like, making no decision is easy. <laughs> yeah, or, like, I think it's more the, the devil you know, right? These guys are, are known quantities by this point. Uh, and they need still need to get their... their but what do you know them. about Grosjean? It ain't good. Not lately. <laughs> like, it's it's a weird thing. Like, Grosjean, I think, compared great with... um. Gutierrez, Gutierrez, when mm. when the team was when the team was starting out, I remember they released a documentary about the early days of that team, and like Grosjean had a way with the mechanics, like he was good in the meeting room. He was, he was a good team leader. Uh, Gutierrez isn't the benchmark anymore, right? Like it's like Haas is a team that could be doing better. Grosjean has had three, four really like egregious incidents this season one of which was spinning his car out while trying to warm up tires yeah geez i forgot about that in baku that was crazy yeah i mean admittedly vettel also drove his car out of the lead into a wall in germany so i mean (laughs) you know everyone has a bad day now and then but uh grosjean he just must be great as a teammate that's all i can put this down to because i think if it's just a cold-blooded decision uh, without intangibles entering into it, I gotta believe you can find somebody a little more reliable. Right. Uh, yeah, he's he's had three top ten finishes this year, um, uh, and his uh, teammate has had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So wow. that shows you the the difference. Um, yeah. He granted he has had four retirements. Um, I mean, some of them were himself, <laughs> like uh, the aforementioned. Um, but. Uh, yeah, that's that's a pretty it's a bit of a golf. He's yeah, he's he's waned a lot. He's been a lot of like, you know, 15, 17, 18 place finishes, which you know, it's been there a while now. Kind of need to you know, light light a fire under his arse a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. I like both those guys. Um I'm I'll be happy to watch them next year. Mm. Uh 2019 might get a fourth qualifying session. Uh. God. Messing with this again, guys, huh? God. Uh, okay. This Go from on. Race Fans. What time is this one? This one's on at 1 a.m. <laughs> the topic was discussed by the strategy group last week at the instigation 
of F1's commercial rights holder, Liberty Media, quote, they've been doing a lot of a lot of research among fans, and this is one of the things that they feel like the fans would like. What? Uh, I did not race director Charlie Whiting explained. Uh, yeah. Drew, what's okay? What's the format being proposed? Because like you've only got so many cars. Like I need help here understanding. So under the new proposal, both the sessions and the delays between them would be shortened, and the number of cars eliminated cut to four each time. The new Q4 session would feature eight cars. Whiting said the possibility that each car would do a single lap in turn had not been discussed. The length of the session could remain sufficient for each car to do two runs. I would Why? be totally... I Why? would like one shot. Fucking one shot garbage. would be good. Let's do one shot. If you want to do four sections of it, make that one shot. Like, just put it all on the line. That's where the tension is. Look, just go to two races a weekend. Like, clearly that's what you want to do. <laughs> like, you want to do... Like, just tell you that's what. Like, you do one Formula race e. where you, you qualify for it, then you flip the field order... Maybe add weights yes. to cars. I don't know. Clearly, this is what you want to do. So just do it. Don't like, what if qualifying were a race? Like, that's basically, I don't know. This is so silly. Yeah. I don't know. Don't mess with it. I don't know what fans told you they wanted this, but no. No. Uh, all right. A uh, couple of other news items here outside of F1. Um, Anna Carrasco wins uh, the world title to create motorbike history. Uh, she's from Spain and be- has become the first women- woman to win a motorbike world title, uh, claiming the World Supersport 300 uh, championship by a point over her compatriot, Micah Perez. Wow. Uh, she also um, created history last year with her debut win in Portugal last September. Uh, and at age 16, she was the first female rider for more than a decade to score a world championship point in 2013. So, uh, yeah, congratulations to Miss Carrasco, 21-year-old. Um, that's awesome. That's cool. I don't keep I, up to date with, with that stuff um, as much as I, I wish I did. Rob, are you interested in the bikes at all? I used to watch MotoGP, but that was about it. Yeah, I never really got into bikes too much, mainly just because I never developed the bandwidth to track yet another racing series. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. yeah. It was my number two for, for a couple of years. Uh, I haven't been able to watch it this year. And like, I don't know, I honestly was kind of, I don't know, got kind of bored with like the, um, uh, the Mark Marquez show. Like he was just right. kind of dominant. Um, but the thing with MotoGP is that people can skid out and fly off their bikes at really any given moment. So uh, there is always that tension there. Uh, that, that can and does happen a lot. Uh, And finally here in the news, um, a warrant was issued for NASCAR Xfinity and Camping World truck racer Jordan Anderson Hmm. uh, in relation to a racing car that was used in a NASCAR competition um, that was involved in an accident and was then stolen. He bought the truck, uh, presumably not knowing it was stolen. Um, and a warrant was issued for his arrest, but then he gave it back uh, and uh, satisfied the sheriff's department and says, this has been quite a humbling lesson in being a new team owner and the importance of discerning who you do business with. So watch out for those stolen trucks out there, everybody. How does that happen? That seems I have, bizarre. I, I, maybe like uh, he says he's a, a team owner. So maybe like this guy rolled up like, hey, you want to buy a truck? <laughs> because he's a camping no, truck guy. No, I don't got guy. papers. Yeah. He's totally. Said, yes. You know what? You know what you say when somebody does that? 
<laughs> fucking no. Take your stolen goods somewhere else. Like somebody, do you want to buy some carpet or do you want like fucking look at this? Look at all these cars I have in the back of this truck. Do you want one? Bananas. I think he should have taken that truck and gone on the lamb with it. I think that would have been like NASCAR needs to get back to its roots. And right, that, yeah. those roots are outrunning the police with a load of moonshine in your trunk. That is those are the origins. I think that is what he should have done. He should have been like, I got some Everclear and let's just let's go have a good old time. Obviously, I like can drink it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transport it so, across state lines. So uh, other series like DTM and um, uh, Super GT, I think, they, they have this concept of ballast. So mm. you do your qualifying lap, and then based on that, your certain amounts of weight are added to your car to kind of homologate uh, the race. They should do that in NASCAR, but the ballast <laughs> needs to be moonshine. Yeah, I'm sure that doesn't cause, you know, some sort of a fire problem if 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 <laughs> if and when they crash. Uh yeah, I like the, I like the I like the cops idea. I like the idea that they get like a two lap head start and then the cops have to like <laughs> unlap them or like a half a lap head start. And then they and they, they can throw bottles of moonshine out the window maybe at the cops at their wheels to try and try and stop them. I I play that video game. I think I have played that game, to be quite honest. <laughs> the Smuggler's Run or something, yeah. Uh, and a couple cool things from Reddit here that uh, won't really play on the audio, but I'll link them in the show notes. Uh, one is a car um, that's painted to show where the downforce occurs, Ooh. which is pretty awesome. Um, and then another uh, a video of eye tracking. Uh, they track Kevin Magnuson's eyes as he's doing a simulator, and then um, they track a normal person's eye. I think it's the the, uh, the BBC reporter who's doing the piece. Uh, and right. they look at completely different things. Like Magnuson is looking basically as far ahead as you possibly can. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, the normal guy, which is basically what I do in racing games, is like, look at the apex. And then I, I watch it as far as... I can until I hit it right before right. I look at the next one. And that's really not how you're supposed to do it. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Apparently that's a big problem with a lot of drivers is that they, they're looking too close to the road in front of them sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. Just generally like new drivers when they start. And that's why a lot of drivers don't drive very fast um, because they're, they're like looking at like, you know, 50 yards in front of them instead of 200 yards in front of them. And they're like, fuck, I'm going too fast. And I feel like you don't have control. So apparently it's a whole thing, but that's, that's amazing to, you know, I wonder how much of their peripheral vision he's using in that respect. You know, he can, he can see the apex. He doesn't need to be looking directly at it. Right. Or, or is it some combination of like uh, knowing where you are on the track and just feeling how big the car is and where your tire is going to hit? Right. Uh, yeah, that stuff's fascinating. Hmm. Uh, also fascinating, Suzuka. Japan. The next Japan. Track that we'll be at in, yes, uh, Ino, Suzuka City, Mie Prefecture. Japan. Ooh, that's a great prefecture. Love it's it. It's one of the one best. Of, one of my favorites. Uh, the city of Nagoya, I want to say, is that is where Suzuka is based, like close enough to that. Okay, um, is that the big one? It's a, yeah, it's the. I think it's the third biggest city in 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 uh, the country, I believe. Um, okay. Cool state. Cool circuit. It's been around almost as long as I have. Nineteen eighty-seven was the first time they raced on it. Um, drivers really, really like this for a number of reasons. Um, uh, one of the first, before we get into the circuit, is the fans. The fans there are fantastic. Yes. Um, Japanese fans, uh, I think sporting fans in general, are among some of the most enthusiastic on the world stage. Uh, and they generally 
pack the stands pretty good for this one. Um, kind of a, a comparative piece would be the Chinese Grand Prix, uh, which isn't to say anything uh, bad about the Chinese fans. One of the biggest problems that one is, is it's not outside a major city. It's in the middle of nowhere. Um, so getting people out to that one and the, the large um, uh, stands is a bit of a problem. Not not here. It always packs out the whole weekend, uh, practice, qualification, and race. Uh, it's a fun circuit, 5.8 kilometers. Uh, it's unique in that it, it kind of has a bit of everything. Uh, first of all, it's a figure of eight. It's the only figure of eight on the, on the, on the, the calendar. Um, it's got uphills and downhills it has some of the fastest turns in F1 it also has uh, slow corners and a hairpin um, it's got a flyover obviously because it's a, a track that's a figure of eight as well um, and it also has a pretty good like balance of left and right turns um, just by the nature of the track uh, looping over on itself as well um, so it's a it's a it's a really fun circuit uh, some of the like things to sort of take from it I guess is that um, because it's it's 5.8 kilometers, but it is one of the fastest uh, tracks on the circuit. Um, a lot of it is quite technical. Uh, the drivers really enjoy the S curves part of it. It's kind of like maggots and beckets on steroids. Um, uh, it actually the, makes the, the hairpin look like a hairpin. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that 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 one always reminds me of the Circuit of America's one a little bit because it's kind of uphill as well. So you kind of you, the, seeing that apex on the left hand side is is, is kind of tricky. Um, uh, the turn we always talk about, of of course, is is near the end of the circuit, which is one thirty or, uh, which is uh, one of the more uh, sort of iconic races. That and I guess Spoon is probably the other one that people talk a lot of, um, uh, which is near the end of the track, uh, just around there actually. Uh, one thirty or I always wonder wonder why it was called one thirty or. I always thought it was because it was hundred and thirty degree angle but then i thought mm-hmm. it's it's left it's not right um and apparently it's the re- radius it's right. radius yeah i didn't realize that's what r stands for uh so does that mean that it's a, a 130 degree turn or does it mean that that turn would sit in a circle of 130 meters radius like how did they i would cal- i believe it would be a 130 degree arc okay uh, on the circle but right yeah. I, yeah, I I I wasn't sure if that was a standard way of the of people naming turns, but uh, I suspect that's only something you do when you're building a test track, right? It is such a weird engineers like, okay, well we we want to test this outcome, so one thirty R. This one's going to be, yeah, that's, and that's kind of I think what's so cool about this track is it's this mishmash of as you said like different technical challenges. They don't really go together. The 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 track has a very strange flow because. Hmm every single part of the track is like a different exam that you're taking. And <laughs> it kind of feels that way uh, when, when you're driving it. And so there's a lot of uh, speed to be lost if you not sort of ace each of these uh, sections uh, because that's going to set you up poorly for the next segment. Like, you really need to, like, handle the hairpin correctly because there's a long, uh, like, gently, like, arcing turn leading up to spoon. Uh, but you need to be set up for that appropriately out of uh, out of hairpin. Yeah, totally. It's, Man, a, it's Kobayashi. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, One thirty hours as well used to be a, a, a scarier track. We we had a, um, a, a couple of bad crashes there in Moto Moto GP. I believe they had a fatality. I want to say was it maybe uh, i feel bad now i can't remember when it was but there was a really bad crash or something within the past 10 years i believe there um maybe not motor gp maybe it was a lower uh, i think uh, you're right series, and they don't race there anymore that's okay that sounds about right um so they've added a bunch of runoff there so it's not so much of a of a of a issue in terms of uh, sort of ending ending your race or, or in fact ending um uh, having a much much uh, worse damage happen to you um but uh yeah like rob said this that it's 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 not quite i wouldn't quite say it's the franken track that the 
uh, Circuit of the Americas is because you can very directly see different tracks in that track. But this one just has like a bunch of just, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like the only other track that reminds me. We talk a lot about how the, the camera perspectives on a lot of these tracks make it so that some of these tracks look... Like, Russia is just a homogeny. It's just mm-hmm. like, it looks like the same corner every fucking corner, right? Yeah. And then you look at something like Monaco, which obviously is so iconic in different parts because the cameras are weird places and stuff. And I get the same feeling from Suzuka in that, like, you can... There's so many different facets to this uh, to this track. It really lends itself, I think, to if you if you don't really watch races that, mu- that mu- uh, often, you get a sense of this track within, like, four or five laps. You can kind of, oh, they're at that part, or they're at that part. Um and yeah, it's a it's a super fun track, and like Rob said, you you don't want to be making mistakes uh, during this track because you pay for it for for quite a long while. Um, I want to say, does it still only have one DRS zone? The back straight was the one they had it on. They didn't usually have it on the main straight, I believe, because that first turn is basically taken um, it's taken flat out, and you you have to break into turn two. Uh, as uh, you know, you have to you have to decelerate into turn two, but I th- I think they didn't have um, a DRS straight there. Uh, I I haven't seen anything uh, suggesting any changes happening. I know they have wanted to add more and more DRS zones uh, to to this season, but uh, yeah, I haven't I haven't seen any changes. All right, let me do a quick little look. Uh, while you're doing that, I have some stats here. We've got uh, in order of team wins, we've got. Uh, Ferrari at seven, Mercedes at four, uh, and Red Bull at four. All of Mercedes's wins uh, came within the turbo hybrid era. Hmm. Uh, so since 2014, I also I think McLaren might have like nine wins. Uh, Ferrari's last win though was in 2004 with Schumacher. Um, in terms of current drivers, Hamilton's got four, and Vettel has four. Uh, Hamilton winning three of the last four Japanese Grand Prix. Uh, Red Bull was pretty great here last year. Verstappen finished finished second and got really close to Hamilton on the last lap. Uh, right. Ricardo came in third after Vettel had uh, engine trouble. Uh, and uh, according to Formula1.com, Christian Horner recently suggested that the more powerful Spec C Renault engine could go back in the car in Japan, giving Verstappen and Renault-bound uh, teammate Daniel Ricardo a much-needed horsepower mm. boost. Um, so I've clarified it. I actually had it mixed up in my head. They don't have the DRS straight leading into 130 or for that reason. Um, ah. So that one's fast enough as it is. I think it's downhill as well because you, you climb from turn nine upwards. Um, so yes, the DRS straight is the relatively, you know, short-ish um, start finish straight leading into turn one. Okay. Uh, Tire-wise, we've got medium, soft, and super soft tires. There is a lot of stress on these tires for this track. We've got five out of five for tire stress, five out of five for lateral, uh, four for downforce. uh, I'm sorry, three for downforce, four for asphalt grip, uh, and three for asphalt abrasion. Uh, Also from Formula1.com, this is Pirelli's head of car racing. I don't know why car, car racing. There's uh, another Mario, guy in charge of the bicycle. So, <laughs> uh, Suzuka features some of the highest energy loadings of the season, and this can lead to greater levels of wear and degradation that we normally see. It's also the only circuit in a figure of eight on the calendar, which means that the tire wear between left and right is about even, hmm. which is interesting. It's pretty cool. Uh, weather-wise, um, let's see. Here. There will be some. There will be there weather. Will, there will be there will be weather. Um, Friday, 
Uh, we're looking at mid to high 70s. Okay. Uh, in in Fahrenheit's. Uh, I'm using a different a different thing today. Usually Can Google we use Kelvin? Kelvin? Uh, Can we get some <laughs> Can I get the uh, time How close in, in... to absolute 0 will we be? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no precipitation, uh partly cloudy. Uh and then let's see for Saturday uh higher temperatures in the mid to high 80s in uh, in Fahrenheit. Um Decent wind, actually, 14 to 16 miles an hour with, uh, hmm. again, partly cloudy skies. Patchy rain possible on qualifying Ooh. day. Ooh. Uh, and then on race day, uh, similarly high temperatures, uh, 50% humidity. Uh, no precip happening, though. Pretty ah, pretty sunny shame. skies, uh, it looks like. Um... Let's go from that to the driver standings now. Lewis Hamilton on top, 306 points. That's 50 points ahead of Sebastian Vettel going into the weekend. Uh, Valtteri Bottas is in third with 189. Kimi Raikkonen right behind with 186. Verstappen's got 158. Danny Rick with 134. Kevin Magnussen with 53, tied with Nico Hulkenberg for seventh place. Fernando Alonso has 50. Sergio Perez and Esteban Ocon, teammates, tied at 47 points. Carlos Sainz in 12th with uh, 38. Uh, Gasly has 28. Grosjean with 27. Leclerc in his Sauber has 21 points. Stoffel Van Dorn with 8. Lance Stroll with 6, who's tied with Marcus Erickson. Brendan Hartley has 2. And Sergei Sorotkin has 1. In how, how, how bad does it suck for Botas and Raikkonen to be 3rd and 4th without a win? And 5th and 6th <laughs> have wins? <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good that, point. That sucks. That must just like ease at them. Like, ugh, poor, especially Valtteri with last week. What a bummer. Ugh, yeah. Uh, Mercedes out in front with 495. That is, uh, let's see, 53 ahead of Ferrari with 442. Red Bull's got 292. Renault has 91. Gene Haas and team with 80 points. McLaren's got 58. Force India with 35. Toro Rosso has 30. Sauber's got 27. And Williams has a cool seven points. They've all split up a bunch. Remember we had that we we did this two weeks ago. Um or maybe it was last week actually, was it? And it all felt like they were on top of each other there. They've kind of spread mm-hmm. out a little bit, that 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 patch in the middle. Um yeah. How close are we from Mercedes getting the constructors, do you think? We could probably have it in three races at this stage. Uh, yeah, if if not faster. Um mm. Ferrari's just they're just losing it uh, I would love to see them turn it around but I, I don't have a lot of confidence that that's going to happen mm. uh, in our Shift F1 Fantasy League which you can join by with the invite code uh, 0B62FE which we'll put in the show notes uh, <laughs> the current top 10 are Speedy McCready's Bobby Gondo Racing uh, David Coulthard's Chin Boa Party Scuderia Matteo Blue Doze Elite Trendsetters Made in Haas Orange B King F1 and Funky Bunch withdrew down in 107th place. Ooh. I made up a place, though. I'm no longer 108th. Nice That's what it's all about. Every weekend, one weekend, just small improvements. Uh, let's take it to some emails. You can email us at uh, f1.cool slash emails. The uh, contact page there goes directly into our inbox. It's the standard way emails work. That's how, <laughs> how we do it. It always works that way. Yep. Uh, this is from Kyle. Uh, hey guys, in the last podcast, Drew said to let you know any other podcast apps that you weren't on. Stitcher! Mm. 
I know the old show Alt F1 was on there, but I haven't found Shift yet. Keep up the good work. Uh, P.S. I'm calling it now. Stoffel will be at Haas next year. You heard it here first. <laughs> a little, uh, little late on that one, Kyle. I'm sorry for reading this so late, but we are now on Stitcher. That's why I'm reading this now. I, f- I oh, figured it out. I was really hoping you were going to be like, oh, it'll be a cold day in hell before I put this <laughs> podcast on Stitcher. <laughs> Fuck those guys. Am I right? I don't. Uh, there's so many podcast services out there now. Uh, I've just checked it. We're already on Spotify. I don't even realize. Look at that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I fixed that one a few weeks ago. Wow. Spotify. We're right up there with Carly B and, and <laughs> Prince and everyone else who makes music. Those are the only 80 people I know. Carly B and Carly Prince. B and Prince. Nailed it. <laughs> and <Yeah>. us. <laughs> Great to be here. Such such collection of talent. Uh, Carl writes in, Hey, guys. Hearing Drew mention his Wait, sorry, watching. Car- is this person called Car? Carl. Oh, that's a shame. Sorry, Carl. It's a good name, too. Uh, hearing Drew it's mention like his... Drum is writing in. <laughs> uh, watching Formula One at an Irish pub in Kiev, I thought that you would like to know about the industry of selling Irish pubs to the world. There are companies, a lot funded by Guinness, uh, that you can contract, and they will get all of the, of the things found in an Irish pub, from the floor, the seats, the lights, the bar, and the knickknacks found in an Irish pub, then stick oh. it all in a box and ship this pre-made Irish pub all around the globe. This can I concept- say, I have, I have wanted to know this forever. Continue. This is amazing. Uh, this concept has become so successful that there are not only over 7,000 Irish pubs across the world... <laughs> But it is causing a shortage in knickknacks in Ireland as they have all been shipped across the world for pubs. Oh, great. Thanks. So, there so was the, next, this the next generation of Irish pubs are going to be like <laughs> UDF recruiting posters just being sent out. We got some of these lying around. <laughs> It'll be like, oh, it wasn't uh, the English that actually uh, uh, destroyed our culture in the end. It was it was globalization. <laughs> Wait, so that that is fascinating, though, because I had just always assumed that this was just an aesthetic that was so popular, people were right. like, fuck it, you know, you know what this room needs is a ton of wood paneling and, like, some old-timey <laughs> signs. You mean they all discovered signs. it independently? Is that what you mean? Well, no, just that, like, like look, like people rent the quiet man, and they're like, I want that. Give me that. But, like, like more familiar and, and uh, comfortable. I, ha- I have always suspected this because I remember I uh, the the bar around the corner from CBS in San Francisco um, is called what's it called again I don't I don't remember oh so uh, no it's something I've been like, oh, I've been drunk and there's so many fucking times I, know. I can't believe it. I can't believe well, it. it kind of explains it honestly yeah probably but I when I went in the first time they had the, a Gaelic football jersey from my my home county which is like not it's like not waterford's not a big county like i wore that jersey and i was like oh, that is insane like how did i have that and all these pictures of people in like clon in 1940 probably first time these people have ever seen a camera in their lives and it's and it, here's a picture of them on this bar here and i always i was like like there's i was I, and i looked at the roof and they had like you know Sinead o'connor posters and all this stuff and they were all the same size and i was like who the fuck got this stuff like who does the I remember asking like the bar, you know the bar owner where were they from and they were from like fucking Sacramento or something and I was like 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 how did you get a why Waterford like it would be a Dublin jersey like especially in Gaelic football I don't think Waterford maybe we've won one Gaelic football title back in the forties but we, we're not a prolific team so if he, he's either from Waterford or this is all a fucking ruse and now I finally know that the the commercialization of Ireland is just another. That is- 
That is grim. Like, not, Ireland yeah. just being stripped bare. And not, not only all of that, though, but I remember, like, your first week, we went out to that pub, and right. uh, I was... We were standing in a circle, and I looked up at one of those many posters that they have around there, and a guy looks exactly like you, and I <laughs> yeah, took a I picture that. of you with that yeah. guy in the background. I mean, let me see if I can find that picture. I forgot about that. Uh, and yeah, the, uh, link it, that as well. But he it puts uh, a, a URL in his website or in his email, irishpubcompany.com, which I'm oh looking no. at right now. Oh one of no. their services is Turnkey Design and Build. Uh, once a site is confirmed, a representative of the Irish pub company will visit the site. This allows the Irish pub company representative to view styles. the site firsthand to discuss in greater detail with their client their particular design requirements. From contract to completion, the turnaround time is approximately 12 weeks, subject to location and shipping time. Wait. This is incredible. Hold on. That's really fast. That is, These that folks is incredibly sound really fast. good at furnishing and building a place. One thing is somebody's like trying to figure out how can I remodel my home? Like I just bought this home as a real fixer upper, but like, man, contractors are really expensive. Hear me out. Irishpubcompany.com. Now, admittedly, you're taking somebody's beloved family family memorabilia, like just ripping it out of the like arms of grandmother somewhere in Meath. Doesn't matter. Just just take it, furnish your home in the Brewery style, the Celtic style, oh. or the modern <laughs> Irish and gastro style. Put a bed down in there, boom, you have your very own Irish pub themed home. I love the Celtic style. It's like, is this in like an, an old like fucking fort or like a like a like a, a clacon or a peat house or something? Like Celtics. This is it's Kate O'Brien's is the name of that pub. I, I That's just right. remembered yes. it now. Um now I'm starting to think of Irish culture. What if Ireland was just like England decided they got this company to make, they were like, we have this island over here. We're not really doing anything with it. Let's hire this country, this company to make it look like one of their Irish pubs. And they just, my my whole country is a ruse. The, the thing about the uh, Irish knickknacks though is, in, is completely true because um, what used to be a problem was that um, in the west of the country especially where we have a lot of the old old um, uh, signs and everything's in Irish and English but a lot of the new ones they, they kind of look polished and modern a lot of the old ones um, they were going missing because because American tourists were stealing them and they were going up in, in pubs in America so that was like a genuine concern for a while was that they were like reinforcing all these signs but this seems like to be on a on a whole new level this is like the Jeff Bezos of of stealing signs from Ireland uh I did want to point out that they, in their portfolio, okay. they list um, a <laughs> a tacos and tequila place in Halifax, Nova Scotia. I'm there. Irish potato nachos, man. They had those in Kate O'Brien's. Potato. I think the only reason the way they were Irish is that they had guacamole, cheese, and sour cream, which is a sort of a loose approximation of the Irish tricolor. Oh wow! Yeah, just gotta make sure. My stomach just flipped. My just. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh. well, great, uh, great. Thank you, Carl, for, for letting yeah, cheers, us know mate. about that. Um, and uh, F writes in to say uh, hi, both or all three. Uh, felt both. compelled to write you following Danny's passionate deconstruction of the betting industry in episode fifty-one. I was quite moved and proud to hear someone unashamedly discussing the vicious nature of this practice openly on the radio, internet, 
Uh, it was informed by both experience and analysis and clearly deeply considered. Uh, I'm writing from the UK, which has seen the rights to watch F1 live on the TV slash internet moved exclusively to Sky, a company who actively promote the races, um, promote the practices you spoke about uh, and charge the most extortionate races for their TV packages. As you mentioned, this largely hits lower income households and is purely unethical. It's sad and I hope it doesn't come to F-way, uh, F1 in the way it has for football in the UK. Yeah, Sky uh, actually has their own betting company, Skybet, which they promote oh, during sporting really events. Yeah. Uh, on another Lovely. note, I have only recently found your podcast. Welcome. Uh, I think it is excellent. You all have the capacity to judge situations well and cut through the BS to discuss the interesting stuff. Nice one. Signed, F. Uh, thank you, F. Thanks. Thank you, F. I hope uh, you yeah. liked my passionate deconstruction of the Irish pub industry. <laughs> <laughs> Three quarters of this episode. F1 analysis. Last 25%. Holy shit. They're basically stripping an entire island. <laughs> Strip mining it for knickknacks. Yeah. Uh, you can also hit us up on Twitter. Follow at Shift F1 Podcast for show updates and any fun F1 stuff we run across. Uh, I am at Drew Scanlon. Danny? I'm at Danny O'Dwyer. If you can and spell Rob. us. Well done. At Rob Zachney. Uh, shout outs this week go to uh, Gregor, Gregory Mascreer on Twitter. Uh, who is says, double, Is that a double barrel first name? Gregor Gregory? Greg, no, just Gregory. <laughs> uh, regarding showing female mechanics, I was watching the Bahrain GP earlier oh, yeah. this year. My eight year old daughter walked by and asked if girls can do that too. That's so awesome. I, I showed her a point where there was a female mechanic and told her about Tatiana Calderon Sauber's test driver. So That is cool. Excellent dad work, Gregory. That is wonderful. One of the cool things I've had people reach out to me recently about is just the idea of uh, talking about inanimate objects as their people, always like having the default as female, because obviously I have a, I have a young daughter now, which I just can't, you know, what I'm saying at the moment. She just looks at me and goes, blah. But I, that's something that I never even thought about. It's like, it's so interesting how I would have just by default been like, oh, the little furry octopus we have is a, is a dude, obviously, because, you know, all octopuses are... Do- Actually, maybe there is a thing where all... Which one's... Which is the one where they're all female? Uh, Seahorses. <laughs> That's why they went extinct, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Jurassic Park. Um, yeah, great email. Uh, yeah. Uh, also, uh, Fink on Twitter. He links us to a, a video clip of Max Verstappen doing a radio check and his voice cracks. He says, radio check. And his engineer says, loud and clear. <laughs> it's pretty good i'll link that too That's uh awesome. thanks to everybody who wrote in and uh said hey around the internet uh but now it is time to see what other racing is happening this weekend around the world i was wondering if you had if, if it, you'd forgotten about it or you were cutting it because now it's the two of us and you don't want me to just i, I should share the race around the world rob we need Let's to all share need... it together okay all three all at the same time Let's go. We'll go three, two, one, and then do it, okay? Okay. Here we go. Three, two, one. Race, Race around, around the world. The world. No. <laughs> no, you can't. No. <laughs> Sorry to everyone. All right. Speakers now uh, now only Danny can do it. Uh, we're not all on board, so Danny must do it from now on. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, we are racing in Wales. That's in Wales. the United Kingdom. Uh, the World Rally Championship is there for the Day Insure Wales Rally GB. Um, We've got MotoGP 
in Thailand at the Chang International Circuit. Ooh. Uh, we've got the NHRA uh, at the Texas Motorplex in Ennis, Texas, United States for the AAA Texas Fall Nationals. Uh, and the Supercars Super Cheap Auto Bathurst 1000 is this weekend, <laughs> which is awesome. I might actually watch all of the Bathurst 1000. I really It always enjoy. sounds awesome. Yeah. That is a narrow-ass track is the problem. Like, <laughs> yeah. every time I watch it, I'm like, what a circuit, what history. This is going to be amazing. And it's like, what if Monaco was 50 miles long? <laughs> It has better yeah. racing than that, though. There's like key corners that are basically like on a like a steep hillside. That's, might as well be a cliff. Like, no. and those and those cars can bump and grind a bit in a way that's like they just kind of uh, shove each other away, which is yeah. quite fun. Yeah, but it's good. I, every year, I'm gonna, I I think I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it. Or I feel like every half a year, there's there's always a Bathurst thing on. I always feel like there's one coming up where I just missed it. <laughs> Um, uh, there's a there's a lot of it. It's a thousand. That's how I am with endurance racing, and it turns out it's right. not just me. They're starting to do the thing where like, well, what if it begins and ends at the 24 hours of loss? And I'm like, well, okay, but then what about the next season following that? And I don't know. But what season is it? What's happening? I never know. Right, fellas. We oh got one yes, more race. Oh my god. Sunday. I got a hot truck, and I'm done to run from the law. <laughs> you want to buy pieces of a truck that I've disassembled? <laughs> you can do so at the Dover International Speedway for, fittingly, the Gander Outdoors 400. Oh, wow. Huh. Yep. Getting a jump yeah. on that sponsorship. Dover, wait, is that Dover, Delaware? I think so, yeah. That's just down the road. Danny. By just, by just down the road, I mean like probably 200 miles away, but whatever. <laughs> Uh, let's see. And Formula One first practice is, um, wait a second. I'm going to get these days of the week wrong. Oh, Uh, that's right. Because they're also across the international date line. Oh, let me, let me make sure that I'm not getting, when is, uh, October 4th? Is that, is that a Friday or a Thursday? That's a, that's a, that's tomorrow. That's a Thursday. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Rob, uh, first practice is tomorrow, uh, or I guess when whenever, you're hearing this today. Whenever you're listening, to, no, whenever you're listening to this, it's tomorrow. That's that's how it works. <laughs> October fourth at six p.m. Pacific time. That's watchable. Uh, second practice is at ten p.m. Pacific time, uh, followed by third practice the following day, Friday, uh, at eight p.m. and qualifying at eleven p.m. Pacific time on Friday, and the race. Danny and Rob, the 6th of October, Saturday, starting at 10.10 p.m. Pacific Time. That's silly. I'm not staying up for that. (laughs) I'll watch that on F1 TV, and I'll enjoy the commentary that cuts out periodically for 20 seconds um, the following day. That sucks. I'm sorry that happens. it's weird. There used to be a delay of like two seconds, which I complained about once on this podcast, but they fixed that, but now it just kind of like cuts out. It's weird. It's fine. I don't care. Sometimes I'm just sick of listening to Crofty. Need a break. <laughs> uh, as always, you can find our show notes on f1.cool. Uh, until next time, I'm Drew Scanlon. That is Danny O'Dwyer and Rob Zachney. If you'd like to support us, Danny and I are both on Patreon. Danny at patreon.com slash noclip. I'm at patreon.com slash clothmap. And you can find Rob Zachney at his day job at waypoint.vice.com. Anything else, fellas? Danny? 
I'm good. I'm looking forward to some fun in Suzuka. Hopefully we got a, I don't know, better race than Sochi. Or let's have the first 20 laps there over the whole race. Perfect. Enjoy uh, your last glimpse of uh, Japanese Kimi Ferrari fans because oh, they, yeah. are a, they are a delight. That is a fantastic fandom. The most positive fandom in F1. Yeah. Uh, hopefully we'll see some amazing hats. Uh, have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next time. Meow. <laughs>